our life, we make all kinds of connections, from our neighbors to our co-workers, from family members to people we interact with in business every day. What about the connections we make to ourselves? Today, we'll explore the connections that we make and how they define our lives. This is Things Worth Considering with hosts Gord Riddell and Alexia Georgiousis. It's time to consider the possibilities. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Things Worth Considering. I am your host, Gord Riddell, and I am here with my very smart, bright co-host, Alexia <laughs> Georgiousis. How are you? I'm well. Thank you for that lovely introduction. You're welcome. You are smart. <laughs> you are smart. Um, anyone who can get through all of those years of schooling <laughs> about, uh, about plants, no. <laughs> no. I don't know <laughs> if that's smart. <laughs> well, uh, I've met a lot of smart people that didn't, don't, didn't go have a formal education, which I think is kind of smarter in many ways. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah, street, the streets uh, teach us a lot more. Did me yeah. anyways. Absolutely. Uh, um, and, and the formal education, I can't take away from that. That's, uh, you know, that, I'm grateful for that. So, you know what, before we go any further, I want to just take an opportunity to let our listeners know what's going on with our show here. Um, so as of July the 8th, Thursday, July the 8th, I believe it is, uh, we are going live to air, meaning that you will be able to phone in. We will be here and our guests will be here. And we'll be, you'll be able to join in on, on our conversation or, or ask questions of, of the guests or of us if we have any answers. Um, now, every summer at Transformational Arts College, we have what's called the Summer Series. And this year, we have nine speakers in nine weeks with nine different topics. And the week before, we're going to bring on the speaker so that you'll have a chance to hear them, see if it's an area that you're interested in, which, of course, you will be. And... Uh, then uh, you can make a decision as to whether you want to take part in uh, the uh, program. Given that it's all electronic, everything is on Zoom at this moment because of the pandemic with COVID-19, then uh, this is open to anybody anywhere at any time to be able to hook into the, uh, into the uh, speaker series on Wednesdays. So keep that in mind. Uh, so there will be a different person, and we're going to be interviewing them each week. Now, it just happens that the first person up just happens to be Alexia. <laughs> so I'm going to be talking to her about her presentation and her area of specialty. And I actually finished the series uh, on September the 2nd. And it's uh, everything women wanted to know about men and men wanted to know about men. It's great. And I get to interview you. And you're going to interview me. That'll be fun. It will be fun. That's yes, not till September. Uh, <laughs> well, August, anyways. So, uh, that, yeah, that brings us in, into uh, sort of up to date. That's where we're at, and it's it's exciting. I'm looking very forward to uh, having all all of our guests on. Last summer was really fun. We had them all on each week, and uh, yeah, they're a little nervous, but hey, it was it was quite fun. So, now we're going to talk about you know sort of how you work with homeopathy as well as Bach flowers. And one of the things that keeps coming up around this is the idea of vital energy mm-hmm. and, and yes. how that plays a role in what this is about. It's very different from, from traditional medicine. Very different from traditional medicine. And the thing with energetic medicine, there is an awareness of the energy body, but mostly this inner sense of connection to really what keeps us alive. 
So there are lots of different words for this force, if you want to call it a force or power. You could call it, you know, nature cure. You could call it spirituality, spirit, you know, um, yeah. prana. And in the homeopathic world, it's considered vital force, but and also in the naturopathic world, vital force. But the, they differ because with naturopathic medicine, there's a the belief is that the body knows how to heal with mm. this innate wisdom. And in homeopathy, the belief is that the vital force is mistuned or misaligned, and inevitably it needs to be supported, otherwise chronic disease or problems can develop. So even though we use the same words, there's a different meaning behind it. And right. that affects the whole treatment. But with Bach flowers and homeopathy, they, you know, the presentation is going to be covering really around uh, an introduction to these medicines and also outlining how they're different, but how they're very valuable and very pertinent to, uh, you know, developing and being healthier in the world in my opinion. Yeah. Um, one of the things that's really interesting uh, uh, about homeopathy that I know more about than I do about uh, flowers is that the, the uh, British Canadian Royal family are huge homeopathic patients. They, they are. That has been part of the Royal families. Uh, and they're in their nineties. I mean, there's gotta be something to this. You know, the mother was 102 yes. and there's the queen and, and the, the Duke is just about kicking the tin can for kicking 100, you know, he's about to turn. Yeah, and that's a really good observation, Gord, because Hanuman, Samuel Hanuman, who, uh, you know, basically discovered or created homeopathy, he was living in the time of Mozart. So basically, the you know, the 1700s and uh, 1800s. At that time, people didn't live that long. Well, mm. he lived until he was in his 80s. Wow, and that's old back then. It is old. Back, back then 50s it was really, more the norm yeah. for a man. And, yeah. and he actually remarried. I think he married a, a 35-year-old woman when he was in his 80s. <laughs> Somebody keep up with him. Yeah, he had, <laughs> he, exactly. He had, you know, I don't know, a numerous children. I think at least 12 children. <sighs> but there was a vitality. Did I get an and, appointment with you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It'll cost you. Okay, um, I thought that. But. <laughs> but, but when we think of vitality, I mean, there are lots of different paths and roads, but but we sure. can really get a sense of, you know, what does the word vitality mean or vital mean? And typically it's a sense of it's essential. It's something that is deeply seated within us, but it's essential for us to be alive and to continue yeah. in terms of, I think, quality of life as well. I think this is, I think is that too is the thing that people sense in others. Yes. You know, I mean, I'm, I, I often get like, you know, I have like this really you know, high energy and, and so on. And, and to me, that's vital. I mean, that, you know, if I don't feel my own energy, I'm like, Oh, what's going on here? Right. You know? Oh yeah. I haven't slept. Um, but those kinds of things is, is I think that's what our intuitive really picks up on on people. Yes. Is that, that vibration of that energy that we pick up on. Yes, definitely. And we want, we want to have that sense of energy, not where it's chaotic, it's in balance, like not without balance, but it, it is something that gives us a sense of, you know, when we talk about um, Dr. Edward Bach in terms of Bach flowers, you know, his, 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 his development of the Bach flower remedies came out of homeopathy. You mm. know, it was over a hundred years later, but again, it goes back to this sense of vitality and sense of essence and almost like a purposefulness, but it's, it really is around, yes, people can feel it and sense it. It's like, wow, it's, I, to me, it's very closely linked with creative energy 
And I mm-hmm. think creativity and expression are sort of tied into that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I mean, I know that I'm, you know, empathically, you know, a bit sensitive. Uh, you really get to know people's energies. Uh, you know, people that I'm close to, they just have to walk through the door and I can feel what's wrong. You know, or or are you okay? You feel, you know, like your their energy is just not in sync, you know, with what you you get to know kind yes. of thing. So the you know, it's very helpful. You don't even need to ask questions or, or anything. <laughs> you just you know, they have to take a look and know that you're you're in a slightly different ball game right now. Yeah, know, yeah. yeah. Well you can sense it. And animals and children, you know, uh sense energy, right? That you don't need Oh, words. Absolutely. And, you know, plants sense energy. I think you've spoken previously about how you have conversations with your plants. Yeah. And, and <laughs> that's really important, helpful. right? You know, my father, my father, who was a carpenter um, for years and then contractor. And, you know, recently my mother had said that my, my dad likes to talk to the wood floors in their condo. And, okay. and he, and I said, really? And it, she, he, he's like, well, they're alive. They're life. Which I think is so amazing, even though it's like, well, is it? Because it's kind of a dead tree now. It's kind of a dead tree, yeah, but, yeah. But he's looking at it as a as a something that's living. It came from something. But right. again, it's my father is in love with plants, and animals love him. He's just someone who. Yeah, that's what I get with something. animals. Yeah, yeah, even animals that normally avoid people, they're like, "Can I come over? Can I come over?" <laughs> kind of thing, and I'm like, "Whoa!" You know, I have a friend who who's who just got a, a fabulous husky, and and who I'm just in love with his dog. And, uh, you know, jumps up on me and he, he's like, did he just jump up on you? And I'm like, or she, I'm like, yeah. yeah. He's like, oh, he likes you. But it's, you know, when I give it energy sometimes when I sit with it, you know, I just have my hand on its head. It's just a small pat. And I'm actually doing a little bit of energy, you know, yeah. they know Ener- that. They do know that energy exchange. They can sense it. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, and they know being- who's got that energy too. Yes. Well, yeah. and I wouldn't say it's, for me, I realized that, you know, when we look at bad energy, it's the state. And that's where, you know, with homeopathy, and one of the things I'm going to be talking about in the presentation, is that when you look at someone's symptoms, it's a very different view from the conventional world, because the symptoms are, again, speaking to you, they're messages, but it's an indication of a deeper misalignment. So when someone has bad or negative energy, it's basically a symptom of an underlying distress. And it's, you know, it's the idea is that with the homeopathic remedy, you're basically treating this vital force because if the vital force is pathologically mistuned, then it needs to be corrected so that the symptoms can disappear. Right, right, right. I mean, you can't have something going on on the inside without your energy being affected. Even the best actors can't get away with this. No, you can't. But the, but the, but the conventional medicine approach often that's that's the you know that's one of the deficits which is why we need the balance of using uh, you know I would say complementary or alternative medicines where there is this energy balance because we need conventional medicine but it has limitations just like we have limitations in alternative medicine sure. but when the two come together it can be a beautiful thing very yeah, yeah. It's very harmonious right yeah it's you know it's the use of the senses or sensing the energy or sensing. Um, I have a good friend who's an ER trauma specialist, and he's been in ER medicine for years, and he can smell exactly how sick someone is. Interesting. You know, he said, "I don't need to. I don't need to see the lab stuff." He said, "My nose tells me what's going on and where it's coming from," which That's is fascinating, like amazing. But it's just something he he you know realized that he was getting different odors at times, and he paid attention to it, and that's right. The you know, it's like if you pay attention to, you know, 
feel, you know, that this person seems a little down or a little up or whatever, and then ask them, is that true? And get it, re, you know, confirmed, you begin to trust that in yourself, mm-hmm. you know? So he began to notice it was actually his nose. And that is so interesting. Yeah. And he would, he would follow through the lab test would come in and this was in a major downtown ER and he was able to then substantiate what he was experiencing. I've seen documentaries on uh, dogs who can smell uh, skin cancer in patients. And uh, I think this is the first time I've ever heard of a human being being able to have that awareness of smell. And he just has a little nose, too. Yeah. We're not talking about canine. Well, maybe it's. But I think, I mean, some of these some of these service dogs, they can sit there with with uh, whoever they're assigned to, and know in advance as the energy shifts whether or not they're going to have a seizure. Yes. Yes. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Well, I've seen the cancer sniffing dog. Yeah. And I do think that, that animals, you know, I mean, obviously anything in nature has so much to teach us all the time. And and part of it is just this awareness of being very present with our senses. Because as we were talking about in, in I think, a previous podcast, that we, we're constantly in the thinking mind. And right. if we could live with an awareness that thinking is another sense, and then we see the imbalance that our other senses are, you know, basically not getting enough attention because you mentioned a really good point. It's paying attention to it. The fact that he's paying attention to a different odor or scent is phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. Because most people just write it off. Absolutely. A kind of thing and not try and associate it to something, you know, uh, specific. So, okay. So here's, here's another one. I think that people have questions around with homeopathy, the law of similars. Now, what the hell does that mean? We know the law of opposites, you know, opposites attract, but what's what's this thing of similarities? Well, the the law of similars is one of the founding principles in homeopathy, which mm-hmm. Hahnemann discovered where if you use a substance in a very ultra-dilute and non-toxic form, okay, that in crude form, it would produce certain symptoms. You basically are going to treat similar symptoms. And I'm sort of paraphrasing it in, in a ways, but but it's I don't know if it makes sense, but essentially that's where like cures like. That was that's that's the idea of homeopathy. They use the word cure because the cure is elimination of symptoms and a rebalance of the uh, vital force. Right. But using a substance that would in its crude form produce, let's say, symptoms like vomiting or nausea in a, that in terms of crude again. But when it's ultra diluted in a homeopathic form, the same substance can be used to to treat those symptoms in someone. So if someone Which has is a fever, it is fascinating. Well, one of the common remedies, for example, is belladonna. And okay. belladonna is a deadly nightshade. It's a plant. And belladonna was used way back in, with Italian medieval women where they would put a little bit of it in their eyes and it's it has a constituent called atropine, and the atropine is what makes the pupils dilate. So when yep. you go to the eye doctor, yep. but belladonna is beautiful woman. Or in so marijuana. the idea was that yeah. <laughs> so the so the beautiful woman was this woman with big huge pupils, mm. and but the problem was is that this is a glassy eyed look, and they can't see well. <laughs> as we know, when you go to the eye doctor, you get out and they're like, oh, your eyes are really sensitive to light. Oh yeah. So belladonna also in crude form is very toxic, so it can cause fever and delirium and all of this, these symptoms. So when you look at what condition would someone be in that type of state? Well, the, the typically it's a state that is seen in sunstroke, high fevers, 
also in uh, sometimes headaches. So what you're looking at is this symptom picture of someone with glassy eyes, you know, a fever or heat in the body, and you would give the homeopathic belladonna to okay. this person. So this is the example of like cures like, the law of similars. So you're using something in very diluted form to treat the symptoms that in crude form this might present with. How about arsenic? Same thing. Arsenicum, arsenicum is a homeopathic remedy. It's called metal album. It just, I just whenever I hear the arsenic, I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> but but it, but it, it's it's it's, it's funny a, it's because it's powerful, yeah. Yeah, and that's and that's one of the things where it doesn't. It's like, well, how could you use that? But remember, you're not using the crude form. You're using something right. so dilute that with energetic medicine and homeopathy, it's beyond the dilution ratio where where there's no trace of the original molecule of the substance. Yeah, see, that's so wild. But that comes back wild. to vital force, doesn't it? It is, and it's the it's the idea of is it the water that's changing? It's and this is vibration. Remember, Tesla said, if you want to learn about the universe, speak in terms of frequency, vibration, and energy, and that's right. what homeopathy is. And if you want to learn about the universe, you have to listen to the people who are making this happen, the engineers. We have to take a break, <laughs> and we'll be right back on the other side of these commercials. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Imagine a place where ancient wisdom and modern research combine to create a non-judgmental, dynamic educational environment. We believe learning is much more than just theories. It is the application of those theories that anchor your learning deep inside yourself. Our physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual selves are embraced and nurtured, learning how to create an internal balance. This is Transformational Arts College of Spiritual and Holistic Training. Since 1988, we continue our mission of spiritually focused education for all who seek. We offer integrative personal development and professional training in spiritual psychotherapy, holistic health care, spiritual director, coaching, and esoteric studies. We are located in Lawrence Park in Toronto on Young Street, north of Lawrence Avenue. It's easy to get to and harder to leave. Visit our website at transformationalarts.com or inquire at TAC at transformationalarts.com or call us toll free at 1-888-TAC-SELF. Transformational Arts, bringing body, mind, and spirit together. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Riddell and Alexia Georgiousis. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca. That's info at spiritgrows.ca. Now back to Things Worth Considering. Hi, and welcome back to Things Worth Considering. Uh, we are talking about uh, homeopathy and Bach flower remedies, uh, which are actually pretty fascinating uh, uh, stuff. We divide a force idea, uh, the law of similars. That's basically we were on that when we took a break. Um, what about, um, okay, so tell us about Bach flowers then. Where does that fit into all this? Yeah, Bach flowers are similar to homeopathy. In fact, they were they were sort of uh, developed. Well, they were developed by Edward Bach. He was a physician, and they came out around just over a hundred years after homeopathy. 
And mm-hmm. Bach flowers differ from homeopathy in that the the it's really the use of flower essences. So it's diluted flower essence, but not as dilute as homeopathic remedies. Okay. And with homeopathy, a remedy can be made from anything. So that means it can be made like what we were saying, belladonna. It can be made from arsenic or arsenicum. It can be made from uh, other plant substances, animal substances. But with Bach flowers, it's only flowers. And the reason for that was that Edward Bach felt that the flower is the most sort of superior part of the plant. Right. It is the most refined. It is the most... Um, awakened i suppose i'm not sure why he he went specifically into flowers really it's the plant's way of having sex (laughs) (laughs) it is but there's seriously as long as it's blooming it's still needing to reproduce that's right that's (laughs) very true very true and it's but there is a there is a real uh refinement of of a flower you know the detail yeah yeah. Yeah, and so so bach you know really went into this place after he he and and hahnemann shared sort of this uh, disillusionment and disappointment in conventional medicine for their own reasons. So Bach ended up going into uh, really working with plants, and he developed a very strong relationship with flower essences because his view of illness was that illness was the result of a conflict between the purpose of the soul and the personality's actions, Hmm. which is a different... I don't think that's part of of my line of thinking. You know? I, for me too, it resonates very deeply. It's the yeah. idea of when we're in alignment with what is actually true for us, then that's when we have full health. Yeah, when we're congruent, when my insides and my outsides match up. Exactly. Most of us spend our time with our outsides being different or altering our insides in order to get people to like us, love us, uh, so I can keep my job, like whatever is that demands from the outside alter us from the alter us as we move inside and then we go into conflict. Exactly. And and yeah. see from from a homeopathic standpoint, the illness is the vital force and all those layers of false beliefs or personality is what in homeopathic language they call it delusions. What is the, what is the delusion that the self is having? Yes. And and Bach sort of took that a bit further where he didn't really focus his his work on the flower remedies don't focus so much on the physicality. They focus much more on the emotions. Right. So, so wherever someone is in terms of emotional struggle, whether it's you know being impatient or anger or fear, the a certain Bach flower remedies are indicated for that state. Again, again, it's looking at illness or disease as a state, a vibrational state. It's not. It's not who the person is. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's a, it's a, uh, out of balance. You know. Yeah. I think when we have that congruity that I was talking about is, is uh, I think the word that we would probably use today is they're very authentic. Yes. You, you can feel that person isn't like trying to get through these masks or any, anything else. It just, they're just flowing from, you know, their essence or their vital force or whatever. Uh, yeah. And they're just, and they're just exactly, they're who they are because one of the things is, is Bach and don't really, apologize I, for it. No, it, right. And, and, <laughs> and Bach identified that he said, it doesn't matter what, what place anyone is in the world. It doesn't matter what their position is. He said the soul of everyone has their own journey. And it's not about, you know, some, we're, we, you know, depending on your beliefs, if the soul is coming back and returning, but ultimately it doesn't matter what your station in life is, is, is what matters is, are you in a place of being able to align with 
and be congruent, as you were saying, with the, what the soul wants right. and what and the personality. Because he believed that that when we're suffering, in in terms of our things that are going on in our lives, it's an indication that the personality is starting to sort of crumble in a way, and there it's an opportunity for the soul to have more alignment. Right. Well, yeah, I'm a big believer in pain is necessary, but suffering is not. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. There's a difference, right? There's a difference. There's, oh, there's a huge difference. Pain, pain tells us there's something wrong. You know, I can be in pain psychically, emotionally, physically, but the suffering is, is when I don't do anything about it. I whine about it. Oh, I become a victim to it. Then that's suffering. It's yeah. And you're stuck, right? We, you know, we, yeah. we get stuck in that and it's so hard. Sometimes I find it challenging where it's like, oh man, I can see that I'm stuck and yet I can't quite reach forward and step out of it because something wants to keep me there, whether right. it's like a victim or whatever it is. But it's Or the like, fear of just moving forward in something yeah. different that we don't know. Yeah, exactly. I think, I, mean, I don't know if I told you what, that. Sorry. No, no. Oh, I was just going to say, well, I mean, I mean, that's sort of one of the big underlying pieces right now with the pandemic is yeah. uh, we're supposed to go to the new normal and, and people want to keep talking about going back to the normal uh, because nobody knows what the new normal is going to look like. You know, are we always yeah. going to have masks on? <laughs> right. you know? I find, yeah, and I find the masks really. I was out the other day, and I found, you know, I was, I wasn't wearing one, and I found that it seems that I could see people aren't really smiling with their eyes. No, you know, there's, there's not a sense of, of recognition, and, and I think that there's this, all these things that are layered. But you're right around the stuckness and going into what is the new normal. And the grief part, which we've talked about in previous episodes. Right. But knowing that how do we allow ourselves to keep trusting that actually this is for the collective. I think it's a massive part of evolution of the self and the souls. Mm. That's my own opinion is I think there's a, this is meant to, to wake us up in, in a huge way. A big, big way, kind of like being shaken, you know, literally being shaken by it. Yeah. But a lot of people, you know, it's like if, if you go up to somebody and grab them and shake them, there are those that will fight back, you know, and there are those that will run away. They'll get out of your grip. And there are those that will just freeze. Yes. And I still think the biggest majority of people are frozen. I, I, think, I think you're probably right. I think that it's a sense of, is this real? Like, is this really happening? Is this going to continue? It, it feels quite surreal. And, and yet it's also, I think it's really important for us to continue to stay very curious because... As we know, fear destroys curiosity and mm -hmm. it doesn't allow us to feel expansive. It doesn't allow us to question and to be like, well, does that make sense? Because I'm noticing a lot of contradictory information oh and I God, feel, yes. you know, and I feel again, it's, it's, we've talked about this before. It's kind of revealing some gaps or some deficits, you know, some. why aren't people, yeah, <laughs> right. Why, yeah. why aren't we educated to learn about our immunity and what supports us and about viruses and bacteria and why aren't we educated about money? And why is it that health systems create this dependency? And it's like, no, everyone can absolutely have this sense of feeling better. And it's hard. We need more support systems in place because we know that it's sometimes it's very difficult for people that have don't have as much privilege and opportunity. And it, yeah. it takes it takes it does. It takes a village, right? It takes a village. <laughs> it takes a village to make an idiot. <laughs> and it takes a village to to really nurture and support each other right? it does absolutely absolutely and even then there's still a ton of stuff we don't talk about 
you know, we'll talk here, but yeah. we're not going to like go down into the deeper kind of stuff because that, that gets into, you know, almost like the deepest, the schema end of our brain, our, our existence. And people don't want that touched. Nope. You know, there are some that do. There are some that do yeah. and, and are challenged uh, enough or by it to, to actually understand it. But there are the others that are just like, if you want to get into a fight, try and touch any of those areas. Well, yes. And it's that's, like religion and, that, and politics, right? You right, go out for dinner, you right. don't talk about those two things. Right. Yet right. those are the two things that most of us are the most fascinated in. <laughs> yes. And it's also, it's fascinating if you feel there's a sense of, dis, you know, detachment, that you can right. have an open conversation and truly listen instead of feeling like you got to convince someone to agree with you. And I think that one of the things about energetic medicine, both with homeopathy and, and what I found in private practice, with homeopathy especially, is that it does open a portal. So it opens awareness for people sometimes. And right. this is where it's like anything where something opens in you and you have to be, you know, have to be, you don't have to do anything, but you make a choice. Do I step through into this new and different right. or do I stay with what's familiar and comfortable? And I think, you know, going back to this pandemic, it's also this idea of, wait a minute, you know, how do I want to live my life? And with remedies, this is why energetic remedies are so powerful. And again, there's many paths to Rome, but, you know, homeopathy and Bach flowers are very supportive in this way, where they can help people open up a new way of seeing, because essentially you're letting go of a layer that masks your vision and not and keeping you stuck. Because, you know, it's, it's very often we're selective. We're saying, I want to move forward, but I want to bring all this with me. It's like sometimes right. it doesn't work that way. You know, you might have to leave a relationship that might exactly. not be serving you. And yep. it's hard to face that, right? Of course it is, because we hang on to things. Yeah. But that's, I mean, that's what uh, Buddha talked about when he talks about attachment. Yes. You know, it's our stuff. It's yes. whether it's people, places, or things that we can become attached to and addicted to. And we're not going to, it doesn't go away very easily. It's, uh, it's very difficult for people to even understand the concept of letting something go. Like, I find it challenging. I find the it. idea of letting go. You know. <laughs> I'll sell it to you, you know, but I'm not letting it go. Right. You know? uh, but yet that idea of letting go um, is probably one of the most liberating things there is. You it know? is. It's the surrender. You the know, surrender, it's, it's, absolutely. And it doesn't mean I approve of it. Like, nope. say, forgiveness. I, didn't, I don't approve of what you did uh, or, or anything, but I'm not going to carry this on my back, you know, uh, that I'm the one that's actually going to suffer. Well, and, and this is a really good, important point, and it ties it back also into both homeopathy and Bach flowers, where there's a sense of humility of the self. If, mm -hmm. if both of them are very, in my opinion, very spiritual type of medicines, energetic medicines, they both have an alignment with consciousness and awareness of the, of the personality and uh, these constructs and labels, and also this sense of reverence in terms of there is a higher power right. and there is a higher plan. And I think when we get stuck in terms of hanging on to things that we, you know, that the small self wants to believe that we have control and we're the ones that will decide. And then we, you know, usually it takes a big, you know, wake up to make us realize that, hang on a sec. I don't have all the power and I don't have all the control. So am I willing to let go of this pattern or this behavior or these choices? And it takes time, but it's, it's that connection to, wait a minute, there are this, this idea of 
the dual, the duality of self. Our ability to ignore is amazing. It is amazing. <laughs> you know, I always, I always uh, sort of metaphorically imagine, you know, that the, whatever the force to be, I'm just going to call it Gord, God. <laughs> There's only an R in here, difference. <laughs> oh, my God. I have a couple of friends who go, oh, my Gord. <laughs> oh, do happens. they really? That's hilarious. Yeah, it's quite funny. Uh, but, you know, it's kind of like God comes along and he just taps you on the shoulder and you just like ignore it. And then it, again, it's a little harder. And then, you know, sort of on, on your head. And then finally, it's like this two by four to the back of your head to get your attention. Because exactly. It, our lives would be so much easier if we just read the little tap tap on the shoulder. But we, we kind of hang in there. We were waiting for that two by four. <laughs> well, and exact, and it's part of, again, the deficit around we don't grow up in a society and learn how to feel. We don't like your colleague, your friend who's the ER doc who yeah. has in on his own accord has learned how to really, you know, pay attention to his this this his smell. Yep. You know, that sense of smell and imagine if we learned how to be like this in the world. It gives us so much more connection to ourselves, each other and also I think a val- it values what we are feeling for ourselves rather than searching it for value and acknowledgement from outside of ourselves. Right. Right. Well, I think that's where mindfulness plays such a huge possibility here, you know, in terms of, you know, a, a common exercise. And I do it with people because it just really grounds them and puts them inside their body and out of their head. Worst place to live uh, is, is, you know, what are four things that you see? What are three things that you hear? Two things that you smell, and then I get them to like touch whatever fabric you're wearing and just feel that, you know, without interpreting it, just feel it, you know, kind of thing. And people really appreciate that exercise. Um, I love it. I love that. It's just, it's such a simple one to do, you know, there's a, and then taste. Do you think of something and taste it, you know, so you can say it's sort of somewhat of a meditative state while going through it, but to activate all five of your senses, then you know, you're in your body. Well, now you're open up totally to also interpreting in, intuitive stuff. Yes, yes. And and you also start relating to nature very differently. Oh, yeah. You, know, you start to feel and sense whether it's animals or plants or the sky or, you know, the lake. What you yeah. can, You're open to it. You're receptive because you're relating. There, that's the relationship. Yeah, I have always felt so, so like, I can't believe this. You know, like walking with a friend who doesn't see that bird or hear that bird or, they, or see these amazing flowers that are right there at your feet, you know, and doesn't even, oh, uh, and I'm like, do you not even see what's on the ground? You know, I really get, I get so angry, so frustrated. We live in such creation. And yet if we show, close our senses down, you don't even know where you are. You may as well be living in a box. Yes. You know? They're so busy talking and in their head, analyzing it. You just lose the experience, you know? Yes, and of course, I love summer because everything's right. in bloom. At yeah. this time of the year, everything is in, like, the greens are rich and, you know, they haven't sort of dried out yet with the rainstorms <laughs> or lack yeah, of rain yeah. or anything. Yeah. Um, and it's just like, you know, I commented that to a driver the other day and I said, look at all the different shades of green. And he was like, mm-hmm. huh? Right. <laughs> so I, never mind. I'll just sit well, back and, and, and read. And <laughs> yes, and, and you're bringing up a really good point because not only do you miss out on the experience, but you miss out on the nourishment because that's yeah. the nourishment that we need in terms of our vitality. Once we start to nourish, that supports the vital force. That's yeah. why earthing supports meditation, 
prayer, but chanting. Bathing it's, in it's, the forest. Exactly. Bathing. Yeah, yeah. It's, cool. it's, ner- it's filling us up again. Yep. Yep. Because it gets empty real fast. Yes. Yeah, it really does. On that note, we need to take a break here again. And uh, yeah, we'll self-nourish for a couple of minutes here and we'll be right back with things worth considering. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Imagine a place where ancient wisdom and modern research combine to create a non-judgmental, dynamic educational environment. We believe learning is much more than just theories. It is the application of those theories that anchor your learning deep inside yourself. Our physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual selves are embraced and nurtured, learning how to create an internal balance. This is Transformational Arts College of Spiritual and Holistic Training. Since 1988, we continue our mission of spiritually focused education for all who seek. We offer integrative personal development and professional training in spiritual psychotherapy, holistic health care, spiritual director, coaching, and esoteric studies. We are located in Lawrence Park in Toronto on Young Street, north of Lawrence Avenue. It's easy to get to and harder to leave. Visit our website at transformationalarts.com or inquire at TAC at transformationalarts.com or call us toll-free at 1-888-TAC-SELF. Transformational Arts, bringing body, mind, and spirit together. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Riddell and Alexia Georgiousis. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca. That's info at spiritgrows.ca. Now back to Things Worth Considering. Hi, and welcome back to Things Worth Considering. Alexia and uh, Gord are here. We're discussing, uh, actually, Alexia's uh, presentation, uh, which should be just quite fascinating, actually, um, because you'll go into a lot more depth than we're able to do on the, the radio show. But um, let's, let's take a look at, at the whole idea of disease. I mean, I think that's kind of important. Like what, what the guy, uh, Hanneman, Hanneman Holloman, yep. uh, says in uh, Homeopathy versus Bach. Uh, now, we, you know, we, we said about Bach uh, or about uh, Hanneman living until he was like 88 and a couple of wives, 35 years younger and, you know, quite vibrant and vital. Bach died at 50. Yes, he did. He died. He died very young. Yes. Uh, you know, just just as a, you know, uh, an offset here. So let's talk about disease. Uh, what what are they viewing as, as disease when we're sitting in the middle of a pandemic here? Yeah, and this is, a, this is a very good question, and it's actually very appropriate right now because, you know, the conventional view is typically that the coronavirus is the cause of the disease, and that's part of the picture from a homeopathic perspective. From a homeopathic perspective, the disease of any sort is typically an external stimulus like the coronavirus, but in addition to an internal susceptibility. So we know from a conventional level that, yes, if someone has a comorbidity or an underlying infection, or, and that can be something that's bacterial or parasitic, it doesn't have to necessarily be 
something like diabetes or uh, autoimmunity, but something is making the system also weak. So the two together essentially create disease. And the thing about Hahnemann was that, again, he believed that the vital force was pathologically untuned. Right. And at some point, when when people get ill, it's because the vital force also needs to be treated, not just the external, whatever it is, bacteria or virus or whichever. Now, with Bach, his, his view was a little bit different because... You know, um, he was looking more as that it's the conflict of the internal in terms of personality and the soul. One thing I want to say about Hahnemann with homeopathy is that the view here would be that the the disease state or unhealthy microbes that show up in the body mm -hmm. is a result of the disease. It is not the disease. So it means that, again, there's something that's preexisting that allows the organism to take hold. And yeah, thrive. I, I don't think that's right? totally out of line with my way of thinking. It's not, and, and, but I'm just saying that back in the yeah. 1800s, when before yeah, yeah, this idea was was it was really quite phenomenal that he was already looking at this. Where and I'm sure in in uh, ancient medicines like traditional Chinese medicine and uh, other medicines that this again with Chinese medicine similar concepts where they don't see the pathogens as being organisms; they look at it as the elements. So right. wind Much or cold fire. or dampness or exactly. Yeah. So it's a very different way to look at a person. It's much more in alignment with the earth. Much it, more in it, alignment. It, it always made sense when I when I uh, actually studied Ayurvedic for a while and really got to know the doshas and the the, the whole thing. Yeah, Ayurvedic because yeah, I use yeah. it for counseling. I right. use it for counseling. I determine you know uh, what someone's doshas is 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 part of like the intake and. And what that does is it tells me how quickly are they going to process? How fast can I go? Because I'm a fire guy. I'm right. fast. You right. Know? But if, I'm, if I've got a water person, I need to take that into consideration. And that's totally in line with meeting the client where the client's at, not me pulling the client to me. You know? Exactly. So the doshas was actually one of the ways that I was able to discover that's that. That's a great example. A great example. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. it's aligning again because we become so heavily mentally focused that mm -hmm. we have lost this sense and also this wisdom from ancient traditions that has so much value, which That's I'm glad. Old Ayurvedic. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. I'm glad that it's resurging because yeah, same, it with, same with uh, traditional uh, Chinese medicine and, and, you know, the idea is that these are ancient practices and, you know, Hahnemann's, it's pretty young considering, but again, there's something very advanced about using what I would call nanodosing because we know there's a lot of research now coming up with, low-dose uh, psilocybin for depression, LSD. There's a tremendous amount of research in microdosing. And yeah. again, using this medicine to support the body because it's, you know, and it's also related to being in alignment with the plants. So, mm -hmm. so the homeopathic view of disease, like one of the examples is, is constipation the disease or is it the symptom? Right. So again, once you have a misalignment of a, an inner force or an inner inner uh, um, the the vital force, then once that vibration changes, that's when diseases can start to hang on, and the symptoms can be, you know, multiple. So oh yeah yeah it's it's a very sorting through it is quite a trick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's a, it's a, it's using that's why I find what's challenging for. Uh, people that are more conventionally minded is we're using similar words, but 
it, there is a different meaning behind the words, and it's a completely different way to look at it. It's so, to the point where you don't even know if you're speaking the same language. Yes, yes. Yeah. And that's sadly where we need the curiosity and being able to get let go, going back to the letting go, let go of our paradigms right. and have a new way of seeing and suddenly opportunities yeah. emerge. Yeah, well, also so does, so does good communication. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, I have seen it so many times that people are fighting and they're saying the same thing. They're just using different words or they're even using the same word, but in a slightly distorted way or something. You know, they've added right. a, a new meaning to it or whatever. Uh, right. Yeah, I think communication takes a big role in that one too. It, it does. And listening. You know, what does it mean to listen? Oh. And, but, you know, opening the mind. I'm sorry, what was that you said? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when did you get here? Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, o- opening the mind, I think that's why I get, I, I personally get frustrated when I, you know, read things from scientists, quote unquote scientists, who are locked into their beliefs. And I'm like, wait a minute, the best scientists in the world are very curious, very spiritual. They are, but... We also have a bias that we know from psychology, uh, certainly from CBT, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, and that is our, our, our need to find confirmation of our biases. So most people in research are actually out to prove their hypothesis. Yes. They're not out to look for a disproval, and that's exactly how Oxycontin got on our streets, was uh, those studies, those small, and it totally has changed now what's allowed, uh, right. In these studies, right. they were throwing the little studies out that were showing it was highly addictive yeah. in order for them to have enough data to send out an army of people to GPs and say, look at this. This is an amazing painkiller, non-addictive. Your, your, yeah. you know, your patients are going to just love it. Yeah, love it to death. You know? exactly. But that's exactly, exactly where this whole opioid thing took place. That's a very good point. And, and actually, you bring up a good point around research because the challenge also in the conventional world around the journals and publications of mm. homeopathic medicine is that Here many of these small studies have been thrown out yeah. and they're not, they're not accepted. So they exist, but it's very hard to find. And it makes, it makes it seem like, oh, there's no evidence. And again, you know, it's a, it's a different language, but sadly, you know, they're, they're not looking and not considering smaller studies, even N of one studies is, is not a service to humanity in my opinion. Right. No, I agree. I agree. Um, you know, Buzz Aldrin, when he came back from the, uh, being on the moon, um, he, he eventually, I'm sure it's Buzz Aldrin, but he went on to, to uh, start the Noetic Institute. Um, oh, right. I've know, heard of he, this. He had this okay. like incredibly spiritual experience. And, and, you know, his scientist people were saying, well, there's nothing to prove that. You know, there's no scientific studies or it's so small they threw them out because they were, you know, too small, didn't have a control group or whatever. And he said, 1 million people or 10 million people, anecdotal stories is enough evidence for me. You know, and I, and that's where we get a little screwed up, I think, in not validating, you know, if there's 100 people over here that says, try this, it really works. And 10 people over here going, no, I won't. I'm going with 100. I'm going to try it. You know, unless I think you're really crazy, but, um, you know, but if it's, a, you know, I mean, he was right. I thought that was just a great line is how with anecdotal is, is how can a million people be wrong? Exactly. Or 10 exactly. million. Exactly. Exactly. You know? And, yeah. and from that, yeah, he, he uh, moved on to and started the Noetic Institute, which is still going to this day. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's fascinating. I didn't know that story. I didn't know the history of that. And I, mm-hmm. I think that you're right that, again, when when research is put out there and saying the studies, there's so many parameters that aren't shared in the study. And so you can have evidence informed, but, you know, evidence based is, is different. And it's also looking at who are these people that were studied what was going on, their age, all of these attributes, all of these parameters. And again, it skews the results and it skews the message because many times, even with pharmaceuticals, that when you look in a pharmacopoeia, you, the, the efficacy of a lot of pharmaceuticals isn't that effective no. when it comes right down to it. No, It's just that because I've seen, and I'm sure you have, especially with antidepressants, there's often polypharmacy that happens where this one is given and then another one, another one. And it's not to say that the physician prescribing is is not trying to help. It's just that it's, again, looking at what is going on with this medication and is it actually helpful or is it actually making the person worse? This is the sick care system, right? Right. Well, to take it even you know, a slight step further out from that is, is that you know we've got to quit believing that we've discovered everything there is to know. Because we're not even halfway there, you know. So, you know, how we test and using our scientific model, there is why when someone over here is doing Reiki or energy healing or whatever you want to lay on of hands, whatever you want to call it, and someone says, oh, well, you know, we can't measure that. So therefore it doesn't exist. And it's like that person sitting there can measure it. Right. And the person who's doing it is measuring it. The fact that you don't have the right wires doesn't should not be invalidating this experience. Exactly. But it does. It yeah, does. We, right. It does. It does because that's what we've been trained right. to value. And well, what we're training to value is that existing knowledge is the only knowledge base there is, and there's nothing more for us to learn. And we keep using the same model to test it. I mean, there's really not a big difference between we use the same belief systems to say whether something's good or bad in our life. You know, you either stay the status quo, in which case you're going to have a very sorry life, you know, you'll just be old and bitter, uh, or you grow with it and you go, wow, this is kind of cool. Okay. And we, we add new data, new information from our experience, not because someone said it was, was uh, uh, valuable uh, based on scientific research. Exactly, exactly. Because it, when that and what that does is once we start, and I think that's part of what COVID-19 is doing for people, is it's helping them to question, hopefully, and be curious about what do I believe? What is it that is true for me? Right. And, you know, within reason, of course, but really, that's where, you know, being educated and taking responsibility of learning and actually trusting the self. But when we are growing up in a society and and it just we keep getting inundated by being told what to believe or what we should follow that it it absolutely destroys our sense of self-trust or we throw on lines like oh it's god's way right it's his will well that takes takes any any validation of your responsibility as a human being because it was god's will therefore you know i think that is one of the worst cop-outs to throw on somebody let them struggle through and discover maybe it is god's will but let them right. find that out. Yes, yes, yes. You know, because it's, it's, it's almost like a shaming thing. You should know where that's coming from, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and so then you're like, oh, well, yeah, okay. You know, I understand that. And what that means is go back into being frozen. Yes, you're right. It does tie it back into frozen. That's right. It's like, how do I make a step? And and that's the thing with going into the Bach, the energetic medicine, is that, again, because it hasn't been externally sort of approved, quote unquote, the other thing I find very interesting is that there are incredible people who are 
you know, spiritual guides or, or just energy workers who have tremendous value. And because they are not conventional doctors, then they're not validated as being their experience. It's like they don't have the training, they don't have the... And again, that's our society, what we've done to elevate you know, this conventional, what we're talking about with secondary education, which to me is, that's not wisdom. No. It's just data no. and information. It is not wisdom. It's so powerful to be the person that holds that person's hand at the end. Screw yeah. medicine and everything else. It's about two souls that are just connected because one's about to leave. That's powerful. And that is an experience that no one could ever take away from any of us that have been through this. You know, um, I think that, you know, to say, well, you know, people who are doing like this doula or death doula or any kind of, you know, spiritual direction, end of life work uh, to, to invalidate that because someone doesn't have enough education. This is just so wrong. We, yeah. We've, again, you know, it comes back to what I've said before is our values are just so askew that, you know, the social worker is paid barely enough to feed her family or the teacher enough to feed the family while medicine uh, well, not medicine. I'm not going to touch medicine, but but some is, yeah, entertainment yeah, no, no. and sports. Yep. You know, is is uh, because they entertain us are so off the tr off the wall uh, in terms of earning millions and millions and millions of dollars. Really, right. you, are you really worth that? Right. You know, well, and, of and, course, the ego will say, of course, but yes, uh, and it and it, again, it's like this resurgence of plant medicine, hopefully with the indigenous medicines, because again, it goes back to Ayurveda all these cultures where there's this wisdom the and it was value. Yeah. And, and that's those, those medicine teachers, those healers, we need them right now. We need them more than ever. Oh, absolutely. Unfortunately, we're at the end and if people want, they can sign on and come in and uh, uh, zoom with you for three hours on the uh, Wednesday, the 8th. Yeah. Wednesday, the 8th of July. Uh, you can get in touch at transformationalarts.com uh, or uh, even if it's easier at info, um, info, <laughs> there we go, saying you're all over. Info at spiritgrows.ca. Uh, we can also be Googled. And uh, we look forward to seeing you back here next week. Have a great week and stay safe. Bye now. Thank you for tuning into Things Worth Considering. Please join your hosts, Alexia Georgiousis and Gord Riddell, for another edition next Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, think about the connections in your life and how they define who you are.